Um, today we're starting a new series. We're doing a series called um, Ika, or How, or Lamentations, whichever one you want to um, jam with. Um, Lamentations is a book, I don't think many people talk about it. And the reason I don't think many people talk about it is it's pretty bleak. It's pretty depressing stuff. And um, as Christians, I think we avoid a book which is really, really quite precious. It's a precious book because it gives us a good theology on three things that actually really matter. And those three things are pain, um, sin, and redemption, reconciliation, restoration. The three R's that are pretty much the same thing, but slightly different. And um, that's what it gives us a theology on. And the fact that we um, avoid it at times, I think is really, really sad. Because if there's one thing that you're guaranteed to experience in life, it's pain. And if you look at the pain, and you don't have a theology of pain, and you don't have a theology of sin, and you don't have a theology of restoration, what happens is you ask all the wrong questions. And this book is called How, and it's called How for a very good reason. And that is that the first word in the whole book is called How. (laughs) So it kind of starts off in that way. Now, it's a collection of five poems, and um, if you read through them, we all read them in the English language. Um, Funny that, because we speak English. But um, it wasn't written in English, it was written in Hebrew, and so we miss the literary genius that is found in these writings. Um, The poem itself is written um, acrostic, so what you have is um, 22 lines, each each line beginning with a letter, which is the the letter of their alphabet. So it starts, it's like the A to Z. Each chapter, there are five chapters, four of the chapters are all acrostic, so it's like the A to Z on this. Now, what that tells us is something really important. This person has gone through some serious pain, some serious hardship. This letter is not an emotional outburst. It's not like life sucks, and they're just puking on everyone. Like, if you stuck around church long enough, you hang around someone who's hurt by a church or something like that, they just puke, and they just throw up this bile all over you, and you just stand there, and you're like, oh, this is gross, this is disgusting. Whereas, this is not what's happening here. This is a person who's gone through a lot of suffering, but they're doing an A to Z, there's a, there's, it is structured. But at the same time as being structured, it does tend to jump about quite quickly, which kind of suggests that the writer is still feeling a deep inner turmoil with what they're wrestling with. It's not just like, a, oh, I'm, I'm over that, I'm past that. There's still deep, deep underlying hurts and tensions. But it does it in a manner which is the A to Z. So it's like a complete authoritative statement on probably one of the darkest chapters in Israel's history, or shall we say, Alf Tatal, if you want to use their kind of um, their alphabet. But the other key thing about the writing style, particularly of the first chapter, is is that every line um, follows um, a rhythm. There's a really great rhyming scheme. So the first line in their in the original language in Hebrew is three words. The second line is two words. The third line is three, so it goes three, two, three, three, two, three, all the way through, all 22 lines. And the reason for this is there's a limp to the reciting of the poem. There's a limp to the song. It will be read at funerals. And so a funeral procession will be going along, and you'll be able to feel the rhythm in the walk as they limp from one side to the other, feeling the pain and the suffering and the deeper questions that they're rolling with as they go through this book. It kicks off with chapter one with a limp. But it's not only just like a limp in terms of like like a staggered side to side, but also maybe in the pause. So like a funeral march, 
how we kind of do actually probably better assigned to how we come down the aisle at weddings. You have this big long step, then a tiny step, big long step, tiny step. You do that behind the coffin, behind the funeral procession. And so that's what's happening. So this poem is actually written in the most beautiful, amazing literacy form. And it goes through some really challenging issues. Now, the first chapter today is pretty bleak. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to going to tap into it. There's another key USP about this book. It is the only book in the entire Bible that is written by a witness of someone who has survived a day of the Lord. Whenever the Bible talks about a day of the day of the Lord, it talks about a day of judgment. So it talks about a day of judgment that's coming for all people, um, the, the live and the dead, like the great day of judgment, but there are many times the prophets talk about a day of judgment. A day of judgment has happened. So this book is really important because it looks at what happens when the poo hits the fan. And you see, in life, we have that question when we come to those situations. And so this book is so, so, so key for us to have a good theology on pain, sin, and redemption. If you skip over it and you avoid it, you can still have a decent theology on it, but um, it's got a really good, strong humanistic point of view as well, not just one of God, one-way communication. We're learning through this person's communication with God and their expression, their art form. It's beautiful. So, chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How, like a widow, has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and the hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn for none Come to the festival, all her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, taken, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. We have this picture, we have a desolate city that was once full. We have a widow grieving we have a princess that has lost it all with her cheeks filled with her tears strolling down uncomforted we hear of affliction we hear of servitude we we read this the roads to zion mourn for none come to the party that's a key 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 picture that's a key key line the Hebrew understanding, as I've said before, of sin, shatar, is to walk the wrong way, going in the wrong direction. So the path towards Zion, the path towards God's city, the path towards his mountain is bare. No one's on it. No one is going to the party. He's painting a picture, a bleak, bleak future. There is no joy in this. There is no festival in this. There is no one going to the festival. And then it says this, her gates are desolate. The city has no trade. It's dying, recession. It's not looking too great. Her priests groan. Now, imagine this, guys. Say you've had the week from hell. You've rocked up here on a Sunday. 
and I'm about to do the talk, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you think, oh great, I'm coming on a Sunday to get kicked in by Andy, or you might have the view of coming on a Sunday, I hope he says something great because I'm dying inside. Okay, and let's say you're coming to church like, I'm dying inside, I need to connect with this God, I need to connect with this Jesus, I need this life-giving energy that only he can give, he gives us life more abundantly, and you rock up, and I'm kind of fulfilling the priest role as speaker today, and I'm just on the floor groaning, slapping the floor going, why God, why? And there's no composure at the end where I come past it and go, and now I'm going to share with you God's hope for us all. I just groan and weep and wail. He's saying, we've got priests to heal our hurts. They're groaning in the streets. Like, we have no hope. Oh, oh, you want to look forward to getting married to a hot young virgin? They've been taken. They've been taken. There's no business. The virgins are gone. And they've suffered bitterly. Our enemies are the head. They prosper. And then it goes, because the Lord has afflicted her, her for her multitude of transgressions. Now for us, what we do is we come from this Greek understanding because a lot of the New Testament has been written by Paul and we understand things falling in a very doctrinal kind of linear pattern whereas the Hebrew way of reading and understanding isn't like that. So Paul was connecting with the people and reaching out to them in the way that they understood. But in this particular passage, we can read that and just go like, oh yeah, it's just giving us the reason. And the reason is the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. And that is the truth of the situation. But this first chapter isn't really written as like a, a, a kind of an answer to everything. This first chapter is written in protest. This first chapter is like a good old fish shake of God. It's like a good old, Ugh. it's like, mm. and I love that. And the reason I love that is it creates room for a good old fish shake. It creates room for it. I've hung out with too many super spiritual Christians and when the poo hits the fan, they, go, they just talk about sucking it up. I never letting anything out. And oh no, I never talked to God in this way. I never talked to God in that way. I'm not saying you go mental and drop the F-bomb, but I'm saying you let out that pain. You walk with him through it. You know, I've been victim, and I'm sure some of you guys have too, of some horrendous pastoral moments. You know when you're really going through something and you're hurting, and you meet to talk with someone about the pain and the situation you're going through, and as you put that out there, you're putting out your feelings and all this emotion, and the worst thing that anyone can do is tell you the truth. It's the worst thing you can do. And I know that sounds like a terrible thing for me to say. It's the worst thing. It is. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. The amount of times I've sat in a situation where I'm dying inside and I've met up with someone and I really need them to hear how I'm feeling. I really need to just offload all this. I need to fist shake. I need to just get it all out. And then they just drop this cold stone truth right in front of me. Jesus had a word to say about that kind of stuff. He says, guys, I wish... Man, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, guys. Like, you know, let, let's, let's get a bit of compassion going here. Creating that space for that tension to be relieved, for that pain to come out, to let it all out. And here in this passage, that's exactly what we see. And what I love is this is God's book. This is God's book, but he's allowing room for man to express his hurt to him. Allowing man give it over, to bring it out, to bring it to the forefront, to let it be dealt with. Jesus had a statement. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you're not going through a rough time right now, that is cool. But you're going to encounter people in your lives that are going to be going through these periods. And they might come to you and you hear what they're saying. And you're like, well, what you're saying isn't the truth of the situation. I hear all these feelings. I hear all the hurt you're going through. I want, if there's one thing you take away today, I pray that you take away that one thing that I'm saying. 
they don't need to hear the truth in that moment. They need to have the space to let that pain come out. So many times I've sat with people who've just gone through the most horrendous, horrible pastoral situations. There have been times in my immaturity where I've just told them the truth and they're gone. And I've walked away really proud of myself. Well, I told them the truth and you know, I had to tell them about themselves. Da, 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 da. That's great. But where have I left them? Where have I left them? And what's happened? If God can make room for us to talk to him about our pain and be frank with him in his holy book, then we can make room for people who are hurting and make room for them to go through that kind of a scenario. So that's why I say it starts off with a theology of pain. Now the setting for this book is that the children of Israel had been told time and time again by the prophets, guys, if you keep them heading in this direction, I'm not going to be there. And if I'm not there, you're going to get taken away. You're going to take to a place you don't want. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through pain. Don't go that way because I'm not there. And if I'm not there, this is what's going to happen. They didn't listen and they went there. And in this passage, the context is Jerusalem has been taken over and Israel has been taken over by the Babylonians. Their cities are left desolate. Their people have been taken to a place that isn't there, spread out throughout an empire so they can't join together, have anything in common and build community and revolt and fight back. They're taken away, their hopes, their dreams, everything is shattered. They're at the lowest place they can be as a nation. And every year in the Jewish calendar, they have a time where they go through this book and they remember it. Just like they remember Passover and the great deliverance, they remember when they went the wrong way and they remember where it led them to and they remember and they grieve And it is good for us to remember this story and their time because they take a journey through this book. And we're going to go through that journey over these five weeks. And what we're going to see is what starts off as a protest. They actually know the truth already. They know the truth already and it even says it. But the way it says it is in a protest. But they already know the truth. And sometimes when someone's talking to you and they're hurting, they know the truth already as well. They don't need you to say it to them. They just need that love, that comforting moment, that safe space to just vent and let it out. Then what happens, as that happens, as that space is there and enables them to have that opportunity, the next thing that happens is the theology of sin. And we'll discover that later in the book. They come to a place of moving into less and less protest. The poems, as you flow through the book, become less of a protest towards God. And they start to ask the bigger question. You move from pain. You realize sin. It may not be your sin. It's not always your sin. It's not always that person's sin. Sometimes it's sin in the collective mankind general sin. Pain and suffering is in this world because of sin. But Jesus talks about when he comes again, he will. He said, behold, I'm making a new heaven, a new earth. The former things have passed away. No more sickness, no more death. All those things are associated with sin. So pain and suffering in our lives associated with sin doesn't have to be because you've done something particularly wrong in that moment, but just the overview of a theology of sin that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because all have sinned, sometimes we suffer because of a collective thing, sometimes we suffer because of an individual thing, sometimes we suffer because of a, a universal kind of view. But your theology of sin helps that. So as you transition from pain to embracing and entertaining and engaging with a theology of sin, then there comes this moment where the truth in love comes to the forefront. And the question becomes, I've hurt, I've transitioned through that, I'm looking at what sin is, I'm looking at how we're in this universal predicament and individual predicament. Now the question becomes, 
Can I get back to the path I was on before? Can things be as they were before this took place? Can there be peace? Can there be shalom, as the Hebrew people would say? Can there be shalom? Can we return to this balance, this holistic reconciliation, redemption, wholeness in our relationship with God and with man? Can that be restored? And as we go through this book, we find that. You know, I've shared with you guys many times, but I kind of want to say it again. I remember the time in my life, just before I met Jody, where I was so, so close to killing myself. I was suicidal, and I remember being at that train station. And do you know what God did? He allowed me tons of room in my life to shake my fist. He allowed me to have a go at him. He was big enough. And do you know what? He didn't tell me about myself. God did not need to tell me about myself. I knew my sin, and I knew who I was. I knew what I'd done. I knew what was wrong. And I wanted to, and I did, and I had a go. And I let it all out, and I threw it at him. But I remember being at that train station, and I remember edging closer towards the platform. I remember being a step away from the train as it's coming. I remember being about to jump. And did you know what? That was the moment God spoke to me. And do you know what he spoke? He didn't say what most would say, which is, Andy, you are this. You need to be this. He didn't. He spoke to me the truth in love. He said a statement that he knew would speak to the core of me. My parents couldn't have children. They had three stillbirths. Doctors said to my dad, you will never have children. They'd given up on it. A woman around the corner at the church there on the estate that Marvin used to go to and I used to go to when I was really little prophesied and said that Brian and Janet are going to have a son. My dad didn't believe the word of God had spoken. When my mum was ill losing me, still didn't believe, but he went to that church and he asked them to pray. The church cried out to God. They, God heard their, their prayer, healed my mother, and I was born. And my dad would used to tell me stories in bed every night time. Sometimes a Bible story. Sometimes he'd make up a story about some character, something rat. I can't remember what his name was. Something rat. It wasn't Roland Rat. He made up his own character, his own story. It was amazing. I used to love the adventures. I'm like, what's next in the saga? And my, I didn't know when my dad was making it all up. I thought it was a real book. He was great. But every t- I remember so frequently at night, he would end it with this. He'd put his hand on my chest and he'd say this to me. You are a promise from God. You are a promise from God. We couldn't have children. God gave us you. You are a promise from God. And at that moment, as I'm about to step in front of this train, God doesn't say, like, I don't picture my dad saying it. I hear my father in heaven saying it. And he says it differently. He says, you are a promise from me. You are a promise from me. And do you know what stopped me? I was there. I was like, how can I be a promise from you? Because I knew who I was. I knew my pain. I knew my suffering. I knew my situation. And I knew my sin. But I asked the question, how can I be a promise from you? How? How? Because of his restorative work on the cross. Because he gives newness of life. And as the space was created in my life to let out all the pain, to shout, to shake my fist. And in this book, in Lamentations, we've got a nation shouting, raising their fist, even yearly as they recite it, as they go through the motions. At funerals, they do it and they shake their fist at him. And they let that tension out. They enter this sacred space with God where they remind themselves of the theology of sin, of why the world is the way that it is, why suffering is the way that it is, why we all go through what we go through. But ultimately, what they remember, as they remember their pain, as they remember their sin, as they remember this, they ask the biggest question that ever was and ever will be, if you're a Brett the Hitman heart, best there ever was, Best there is, and the best there ever will be. 
That's what this question is. The question is this. How can we get back to the path that was there initially? How can we get back to the shalom that God had, the peace that was there in the beginning? How? Is it possible? Can it be possible? In the words of Independence Day, as the alien has the tentacles wrapped around his neck as he speaks through the glass, and they say to him, can there be a peace? Sadly, in that film, the alien speaks back, no, peace. (laughs) I want to tell you this morning that as we ask the question, can there be a peace? We're asking it to the king of peace, (laughs) the king of glory, who gives us peace that surpasses understanding, that surpasses the pain, that surpasses the sin, and brings us to a place of reconciliation. And our hope as we go through this series We ask the question, how? How can I get back to where things were before this ever happened? How can I ever find this place? Well, we find it at the King of Glory. We find it when Jesus became, as Hebrews says, he's able to identify with us in all our sufferings. He was tested in every way of us. And he then paid that price, death in our place, to bring us life and life more abundantly. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing a song that Jamelia and Matty have for us. But over these five weeks, I want to encourage you here on a Sunday, but outside of here, take time to let out the pain. I've spent too long in church where people have said to me, be strong. No, where does Jesus tell me to be strong? He's my strength. I'm weak. He doesn't tell me to be strong. It says, mourn, for I will comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. Guys, if you've got unsolved pains, hurts, heartaches, failures, haunting your life, this week, take time in your room to shake that fist, to let it all out, to take that journey into a theology of suffering and pain, into suffering and then moving into sin, and then moving to the question, how can things be as they were? And he will guide you, he will lead you, because whether you know it or not, You're a promise from God because his son was a promise in our place and we have an inheritance way beyond what we can grasp and ever understand. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and to meet with us, Lord. You know the pain that we all face. You know the pains that have haunted us in our past. You know the pain that lies ahead in our future. And this morning we remember We remember we are not alone in our pain. We remember that we're not new to this, that mankind has gone through this ever since the beginning, since the fall. We embrace the theology of pain and we bring it before you, God. And because of the pain and we don't understand and we're learning, we come to you and we shake our fist, full of hurt, full of pain. But we do it because we know you're the Father who brings healing. We know you're the Father who picks us up in your arms and loves us as we are, but doesn't leave us as we are, but transforms us through Holy Spirit, through what Jesus did on the cross. Holy Spirit, would you come, would you guide us this week? Maybe there are pains under the surface that we've left and we've been strong all our lives ever since they happened and we never dealt with them. This week, may they bubble up. May we have time to wrestle with that pain with you and to bring it to you personally, Father, because you are our Father in heaven and we love you. We bring that to you, Father, and as we do, Would you teach us about sin and its consequences? But would you guide us to the biggest question there is? How can the peace of God be restored? We thank you that you give it freely. And I pray this week 
as we transition through those three stages, over those five weeks, as we engage with this beautiful literary form, the Book of How, Book of Lamentations, you will speak to us, you will change us, you will guide us, and you will shape us into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.